really in February, we were really lamenting the state of tests a little, or at least I was, because we had a succession of phenomenally dreary draws in, in Pakistan and the West Indies too. Uh, but now, just a few months later, we seem to have nothing but absolute classics. Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. I am Ted and uh, I'm here with the Bod and Ethan for a very special episode today, the 50th episode that we've done of either Ashes Central or Cricket Central, so a big milestone for us. Uh, don't think uh, we expected to do that many when we first started out, but hopefully got many more uh, to come in the future. Uh, guys, Back to uni for us all this week, I think. Um, so perhaps a bit of a melancholy tone for the podcast. Uh, I'm here in Sydney at the moment, actually. Navod back in Canberra, and Ethan's uh, still still in Melbourne. So all in different places. Uh, how are we all, Navod? Good to be back in uh, Canberra with a with a new haircut. I see. So freshening yep. freshening up for the new semester. Yeah, new new haircut, new me, new semester. So yeah, that's the that's the saying. Um, yeah, much a little bit warmer than Melbourne, I have to say. Yeah, Melbourne's absolutely freezing. So I hope Prabs is nice and I think he's nice and snuggled up in that orange jumper of his. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not bad out here. Yeah, yeah, Sydney's quite good as well, actually. So it's just Ethan having to suffer through the, the cold at the moment. How are you, Ethan? Oh, I don't know what all this rap is about the weather. I mean, Navod's from Sri Lanka, so anything under <laughs> 30 is probably freezing for him. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a brisk. It's been nine, nine between ten and nineteen, which, which I don't think you can be complaining about. I think so, some days it, it got down to minus one or minus two out out in the mountains, but we we stay clear of those territories. But it's it's been it's been good. Uh, I've I've had too too much time off, and I'm I'm excited to get doing something. Yes, very good. Um, well, just just before we moved on. I just looking back on the, the 50 episodes that we've had so far, we've had some pretty dramatic uh, things to cover. I remember the very second episode that we did was Tim Payne um, dramatically uh, resigning uh, after all the scandal that, that happened there. Um, then we obviously had the Adelaide test where Pat Cummins suddenly couldn't be captain anymore and Steve Smith was rushed back in. Um, then we had some sad things with Shane Warne dying and, uh, yeah, some amazing tests that we've um, discussed as well. We've had some terrible predictions. Uh, I was just looking back at a few before the Ashes, and um, we've spoken a lot about uh, Pearson's Ollie Pope prediction of scoring a double century, but he also said that um, he would lead England in runs for that series as well. I, I just um, saw before too. So it's, uh, it's even worse than, than we knew. Um, but uh, that, we've had some good ones as well, though. I, I think it was Ethan before the Melbourne test who sort of hinted at Scott Bolland potentially being selected and um, yeah, doing well. And we know how we know how that went. So that was good. And then Ethan as well, you predicted not on, on air, but on, in messages of England to win, uh, uh, to beat New Zealand in the third test uh, just a couple months back as well. And that was quite a good one too. So we have had some good ones. Uh, and then we've had Navod who's come on here and, just had to go at, at Pearson every every chance he can get. So that's been that's been nice as well. But is there anything that stood out to any of you guys uh, from from the episode so far? I put you on the spot. Here. I should have given you a bit of a. Yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting how in such a sort of, I mean, it's been what eight eight or so months, but 
quite a lot has happened on a yeah. on a grand scale of things. Like Langer's gone, England have changed their coaching setup, and England have just changed everything really. And it's it's sort of been incredible, sort of following it all and and reflecting back on what what a you know massive amount of change has happened in such such a small time. And uh, there was there was a world a World Cup win there as as well, I think. Um, or that might have been slightly slightly before, before our time, but yeah. we've 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 still we've still mentioned it, you know, uh, more more than enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it is. A, I think it's a good time to be doing a podcast as well. You feel there's some exciting things on the horizon with with Test cricket, baseball, uh, yeah, Australia rising again to take the subcontinent. Uh, that's you know slowed a bit as we said in a few weeks, but. Uh, yeah, no, there's been some great things, and I'm sure there's been there's going to be more to come. Uh, now, we two of us want to watch the Formula One after this, so we'll get a hurry on now for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> I think. But uh, to start with, uh, we had a bit of uh, criticism uh, from someone from uh, Mitcham, a suburb in South Australia, who happens to live a couple of doors down from Travis Head. And he was a little bit... Uh, annoyed by some of the criticism we've been giving Travis Head over the time and uh, it was almost a bit of a, a threat that uh, if we didn't stop he you know might you know take some action or something so uh, perhaps we should be a bit bit nicer to Travis Head for now on he is he did score the most runs in the ashes after all so yeah at the top of the show just a shout out to the great man Travis Head there um, and in uh, the other big news really was um, in England's uh, huge uh, amount of ODIs that they've uh, been playing lately uh, continued. We obviously spoke about their loss to India in the first ODI last week. Uh, then in the, the second one, they, they bounced back with a win, uh, mainly thanks to a sixer from Topley, uh, utilising a pretty helpful Lord's pitch. Uh, but really, there were still concerns there as their batsmen really still didn't perform. Um, Moen Ali top scoring with a 64 ball 47. Uh, and Chahal taking four, looking good there. But they got the win, uh, but not a win in the third ODI. Uh, they went at a pretty good pace for, for 259, but were, were bowled out in just the 46th over uh, on by far the best batting track of the series. Uh, copped a bit of criticism from that. Uh, and then Pant with 125 and Hardik Pandya with 71 really showed how to bat in ODIs. Um, careful at the start and then expanded later on um, to seal the series for the Indians uh, and just raise more questions for the English really uh, in the, the post-Morgan era. Uh, I'll throw it open to you guys. What sort of the big takeaways that you had uh, from the from the series uh, from, from either side, Ethan? Well, I think just both teams need to play more ODI cricket. I think they, they just look unlike the the teams of perhaps the 2019 World Cup, which were, you know, more organised and, and players looked more compact and actually comfortable in, in the format. It was, it was sort of just up, up and down games, really, where India win by 10 wickets and then England win by 100 runs. And it's, there was no sort of consistency that's sort of typical of the good ODI sides. Um, but it, it's interesting that, someone like a, a Reese Topley has come out and, and sort of dominated the, the world stage. And I found it interesting too, that India managed to win the series with their top three 
doing very little. Um, and obviously that's the first game they were chasing 114. So it was no, no contest at all, really. But particularly that, that final game, you mentioned England scored 259 and India chased it down, you know, with eight overs to go. But there, there, there probably was a, a decent portion of that second innings where you didn't think India had a shout, really. But there were 38 to three with their top three gone. And it was just, uh, as you mentioned, quite brilliant innings from Rishabh Punt and Hardik Pandya that, that got them over the line. So I think it's, it's quite an unpredictable, you know, ODI cricket's an unpredictable field now that people aren't playing as much. People aren't used to the roles and it's, it's perhaps even more centered on individual players who can rise in particular occasions. And you see so much variability game by game, and it, it makes up for quite an interesting watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Navad? Yeah, um, I definitely have to agree with uh, what Prabhs has said there. Um, in terms of batting, yes, definitely that top order. Um, the top order concerns for India are definitely something that needs to be improved, especially uh, since we've got a World Cup next year. And because of the, how little ODIs we play um, as well. Um, but I thought uh, for the positives for India, I thought Pant with that 125 was absolutely fantastic. I feel like he's really getting into that sort of Gilchrist-esque sort of uh, form and figure. So that's really, really positive to see. And um, I think we're getting onto it later on, but Hardik Pandya is absolutely amazing. I've always been a big fan of him. Um, I know he's had a bit of, uh, bit of out of form um, cricket recently just because of injuries but he's really come back uh, ever since he's been fit and uh, yeah, it's just really fantastic to see how he's playing taking wickets getting really good runs um, as you said 71 in the last game so um, yeah some some positives for India but yeah as Prab said that top order batting really needs to be fixed up. Mm, yeah well in the end a 2-1 victory in England uh, it's a pretty good pretty good result no matter how you look at it for India and yeah, part just really mature innings there. To, probably one of the best um, that um, I've seen for him uh, um, in his career so far. But then yeah, just going on from what you guys were saying about India's top order, uh, four for thirty-one and then four for seventy-two um, they went for in the second and third ODIs. What do you think is the solution to sort of fixing up this problem? Is it just sort of sticking it out and waiting until a few players get back into form? Or is there some change they can make uh, in terms of the order or bringing a new player in? Uh, Ethan, what do you think is the, the way to go for India on that? Uh, I, think, I think they need to do a little bit of both. I think someone like a Shikha Dawan opening the batting order. I mean, he, he used to be quite the batsman in pretty much all formats, but he's, he's been gradually oozed out of the test side, worked out of the T20 team. And I think now is particularly the time someone as old as him you don't really need to give him any more chances in the one-day format. It's probably good to give someone else a go, particularly with the likes of Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli at one and three, who are undroppable, even in that barren, barren patch. So I think with them, you've, you've just got to stick it out. I think quite notably, they've both showed glimpses in that, glimpses in that series that when they bat well, they, they bat like no one else in, in cricket. I mean, the ease with which... Rohit Sharma played that first ODI. He made batting look so easy. And, and we've spoken about Virat Kohli before. His stroke play is, is unmatched. It's, it's just a, I reckon it's a, a mental thing, particularly with Virat Kohli. He just doesn't have that application, um, even though he's got the timing and, and the stroke play. And, and you, you sense that if you tie him down for a couple of balls, he'll, he'll hang his bat out at one. Um, 
and that's been the change really that's marked his his form over the last two years. So I think they should work Shikadoan out of the side, bring someone new in, like a potentially a Ritteraj Gaikakota, even a, a deep Akuda potentially, but just to give give someone younger a, a run at the top and try and establish a spot there. But then I think that yeah, they do need to be persistent with their their established players too, because you, you can't really do anything else but but give them space. Yeah, it's a little bizarre with, with Virat Kohli, really. I think you're right. It must be mental because I was watching that that third ODI uh, and after Kohli played a few shots at the start, I actually messaged Pearson and said, oh, he's he's on for runs here today. And the old Virat Kohli, you would 100% expect him to at least score a 50 there. But then as he always seems to these days, just inexplicably um, nicked one off of, of Willie, of Topley, sorry, I think it was. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a shot that you wouldn't expect Coley to play at all. Uh, but it does bring us on to another question. He was out to, well, not really a question, but an interesting observation that they made on the coverage, actually. Um, and it's that India only averaged 24 um, against left-arm fast bowlers. Uh, Coley and I think Sharma both went out to it in, in that third match. Uh, and it, yeah, it's a bit strange to, to see such a sharp thing just for left-arm bowlers. Don't know why that could be, but um, definitely something their top order needs to work on. Finally, on England's side of things, um, really, I thought the the, the Pandya dismissal of Livingston in that third match, where Livingston had hit him for two boundaries, I think, off, off of short balls, but then sort of, he, he went for another one, and they really didn't have to, in the same over, and then um, was out. Uh, caught on on the boundary they said after the game you know they'll sort of they'll defend that sort of thing and they're trying to play sort of the morgan ball i guess you could play i've got in going all out attack um basically playing t20 style in a one day match um but at the moment really ever since morgan's left the captaincy uh it hasn't really worked for them root said after the game that he thinks the team needs to evolve in some way what do you think needs to be done for England um, to improve their, their batting stocks or do they need to make an adjustment in how they're playing the game, Navad? Yeah, I think definitely a, a, an adjustment needs to be made. I think we're going into an, an era. I think it's also what um, Ethan said earlier as well. We're not really playing that many ODIs. I think it's just getting back into the rhythm of, of the ODI and how to pace an ODI, um, how to yeah play the shots in the ODI. I thought... Um, that Pandya bowling, I thought was, um, yeah, it was risky, obviously, but it, it was it obviously worked out in the end. Um, just basically, it's, it's very difficult to say. I think definitely I, I have to agree with Root's uh, words there. There needs to be evolution, just like we've seen with their test side with Basball, so-called. Um, they need, there needs to be a little bit of a change, um, I think, with the batting uh, in, in ODIs as well. You can't just go full T20 mode. I know that's sort of what Livingston is there to do is sort of just there to tee off. But I think in an ODI, it's a little bit different. You, in a T20, it's a little bit shorter. You don't have, you're not really there to waste time or waste balls. But I think in an ODI, it's a little bit better to, to play a bit safer uh, and, and take time. So definitely, yeah, a bit of an evolution needs to be done. You can't just play like a T20 because um, you've got that extra time. You need to bat out the uh, the full 50 overs. I think they got bowled out, as you said, for 46 overs. Um, and yeah, you really need to do the whole 50 to get the most out of uh, the pitch and most out of the, out of the batting. Yeah, uh, I think that's true. But the other thing that has to be said is 
they do just have a few players out of form and it was also some some incredible bowling at times from India as well. So part of it should be that. Ethan, just quickly, do you, do you agree there needs to be a change? Yeah, I think England have started to tip too far. I think there's nothing really more English and white ball than just attacking even when you've, you've lost wickets. Um, but I, I think it works well for some players and not for others. And particularly with Joe Root's dismissals, I, I think it's, it's not working for him at all. I mean, he's been dismissed for zero and one too many times. And if they're not batting the overs, it doesn't work. So personally, I think the, the bulk of the team doesn't really need to change much. They just need to find their glue in the middle now that Root's sort of been out of it with this aggressive gameplay and Stokes is leaving. Um, but it is interesting that they've opted for Phil Salt probably to come in and replace Ben Stokes over someone like a Dawid Milan who would fill that glue role. So for me, when Joe Root's making runs, the England team doesn't really need to change a whole lot. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's probably fair enough. And that brings us on to the next point. Obviously, the next series that they've started playing now is against South Africa. In the, fair ma- in the first match, it was Rassi van der Dusen, 134, not out, I think. Oh, no, sorry. He was bowled in the end by Livingston, actually. But uh, great performance. 62-run uh, win for South Africa. Um, Rassi went to third in the ODI batting rankings. Uh, but the big news, really, that, that trumped all else out of that match was from the announcement just before uh, Stokes retiring, as you alluded to before. He only made five, but received a huge ovation um, from the crowd up in Durham uh, that really reflected the significance of him as, as a player uh, across his um, career and the big hole we, we speak about uh, what's not working for them. The fact that they can't rely on him is a big part of that um, now as well. Uh, and really just a few people reflected on it, general sadness about his retirement, um, that it was basically forced to happen and you get the sense, guys, that it's something you're going to see a bit more often um, with the, with the um, structure and the formats we have at the moment. Yeah, no one plays as many games as England, which is one, one of the issues, I think. And sometimes they have series concurrently, uh, particularly with their you know, T20 and, and test sides. But I, I think they've, they've experienced the repercussions of this problem for, for many years now. They had that weird rest and rotation policy with their bowlers all their express pace bowlers are injured and and now it's sort of taking the toll on the batsmen just just with their workload and it's not only do they play a lot more games than everyone else those three format players are almost always on the road or or doing something around that sort and so i can i can definitely understand wanting to you know alleviate the burden of, of odi cricket and given that it's it's sort of lost lost some significance, I think, over the last couple of years, it makes sense. It'll be interesting to me if Stokes does pursue the T20 format. Um, of course, he pulled out of the IPL to focus on test cricket. So it'll be interesting if he goes down the path to becoming a red ball only player, given that's probably where the prestige lies playing for England. Yeah, that's true. And it did fill me with a, a bit of joy when being, you know, a big test cricket supporter, as we all are, when he said that uh, he wants to play 140 tests, I think he said he wants to play for England. So uh, that is good to see. Um, Navod, do you think this is going to be a recurring issue that we see across the world of cricket? I think so. Potentially, it'll be fairly restricted to the sort of big three teams. So um, England, India, uh, Australia, I think. Because 
um, pretty much for the exact same reason that Ethan was talking about, because they play so much cricket and so much cricket at once, you know, so England will play a test series, a, T a T20 series, an ODI series all at once because of how much they play. And then, you know, players, obviously someone like Stokes, he doesn't really play T20s anymore, but playing all three of the, those formats, it is a very, I can understand where he's coming from. It's very tiring. Uh, someone like Smith, even though he probably shouldn't be in the T20 side, he still plays all three formats. So um, they're just, it's just a lot of cricket, but I think this is very much exclusive to those sort of big three teams, uh, England, India, Australia, because they play so much cricket sides like Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan, um, they don't play that much cricket. They'll play maybe two T20s or three ODIs. I know we played five recently, but it's not as much as compared to sides like the big three. So people like Patim Nisanka and Baba Azam, they're really good examples of players who, because they don't play as much cricket, actually play all three formats and are doing quite well because I think there's just less mental strain, less physical strain, um, as Prab said, with the, uh, especially with the fast bowlers. Um, there's less strain on the players um, to be able to form, perform in all three uh, formats. So I think just because they're not playing as much cricket, they can just sort of relax, reset for the next format uh, and, and play a bit better. So I think, yeah, this might be potentially restricted to just those big three teams. Yeah, yeah, that, that's potentially true. But then we also have the proliferation of franchise cricket leagues around the world at the moment, which take players in... Um, the schedule was released for the sort of windows for franchise cricket midweek. We had a bit of discussion on our Instagram page about that. A lot of people weren't happy about how much time. I think there were about four months for the IPL or something, um, and only about four, or three or four months in the year without a franchise league on. So it's going to be a problem um, that you know just the amount of cricket, not just international but franchise as well, um, is quite uh, well. Scary, I guess, is the word to see. Uh, and Kawaja, actually, Usman Kawaja in the interview uh, said what I think most people are thinking, that um, really in this sort of uh, melting pot of so many different leagues and formats, it, it's, it is one day cricket that, um, in his words, is dying a slow death. Uh, and it's probably hard to argue with that, I think, um, except for... The World Cup, so I think that's the that's the thing keeping it. But guys, just quickly on this one, I I think ODI cricket is second to Test in terms of the um, the games that it creates and um, how interesting it is to watch. Um, I think something needs to be done, but I don't know what really. What do you guys think? I think just play more ODIs. I think the reason there's not enough time. Thought... It's not enough time. Yeah, there's only twelve does... months in the year. We need to make another lineup or something. Yeah, maybe that's the solution. But um, I think the reason why people are sort of saying ODIs are dying, let's just look at the brief history. So we've been playing a lot of T20s ever since COVID happened. And then people started worrying about tests sort of dying off. I, I remember there was a lot of concern about, oh, there's not enough test cricket playing. So now people are starting to ramp up a lot of tests playing. Like we've been, we've played now four tests uh, this June, July. So um, yeah, a lot of more, lot more tests. But then now we're sort of realizing, oh no, we've sort of neglected that ODI you know, playing ODIs, and there's a World Cup coming up next year. So now England, Sri Lanka, um, uh, India, um, South Africa, West Indies, they're all playing ODIs now, trying to get those games in. So I think, yeah, it could be dying a slow death. I think definitely cricket is moving towards more the, either the test cricket route or that T20 short, really short format route. Uh, but yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. I think the main, the main reason why it's dying is just because we haven't played that much uh, ODI cricket. 
Uh, but hopefully with the World Cup, interest uh, is re reinvigorated. And uh, yeah, I, I personally, I quite like it. Obviously, Test Cricket is my favourite format, but I think ODI has to be my, my second favourite. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point you make. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it definitely could spring up again just when more games are played, I guess. Uh, the final thing uh, about the ODIs, there was the second ODI where England had their best game of the summer, really, um, in white ball cricket. They still only made 201 with the bat, but then absolutely tore through South Africa to, to dismiss them for just 83 runs. Uh, Adil Rashid picking up three wickets and Reese Topley, the player of the summer um, by far for England, um, getting another two. Uh, and guys, um, it showed that uh, when England do get something slightly approximating you know their best lineup even though that by no means was was their best their best possible bowling lineup but they uh, look pretty pretty damaging um especially with Rashid back it was it was a weird a weird game because I, I sort of felt that England were quite mediocre with their batting it just looked like no one really got going and, and got the pace of the wicket and it was only a tw 29 or so over game and what no one in the top six or one one person in the top six passed 20 and that was Johnny Bairstow who made 28 and really it was just some late late order fireworks that sort of got them to something respectable at 6 101 it was a real sort of you know a real effort to really bat bat on that wicket but then with the ball everything just clicked for them and and when you have your opposition six for four, I mean, there's there's few games that you're going to lose. So it was it was pretty much the, the dream start, and quite impressively, England have now got a pace attack, which is all left arm seamers with Tuffley, Willie, and and Current. I mean, uh, it's a good thing India have, have left because yeah, if their stats against this this attack wouldn't wouldn't be anything too flash. Um, but for the stars, the stars line, it was one of those days for South Africa with. Uh, with the bat and you know when your your number four is getting out for a, a diamond duck then you know there's there's better days in in cricket but I, I don't think we've quite seen this England batting lineup quite fully function as a, as a unit yet I think we've seen bits and pieces Johnny Besto looks okay but the the bowling's been pretty pretty impressive and particularly someone like a, a Reese Topley's you know since coming onto international cricket hasn't put a foot wrong and you know, you, you you sort of wonder, you know, what, what's he got up his sleeve besides the fact that he's he's left-handed and he's he's got a little bit of everything and and that's that's doing bits for them at the minute. Yeah, well, I, I just wonder why he wasn't able to do it for the Renegades over in yeah. the PBL the summer before because he looked absolutely, yeah, second rate uh, over there. But um, yeah, no, doing well and Navad, they they really do have an incredibly deep. Um, stock of bowlers now. Uh, if you're just looking at Wokes, Archer, Wood, um, Topley, even Curran bowling well. When if they're all fit, there's going to be some some serious competition for places. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Topley has really really made his uh, made himself uh, present to the England selectors. I think it'll be really difficult, um, especially with the World Cup uh, on not only this year but also next year. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think still uh, it's a little bit difficult considering the, um, the T20 World Cup that's coming up this year is going to be played in Australia. Uh, it'll be interesting how, um, how England go uh, with their selection. Not too sure Topley uh, has done enough just yet, um, but obviously he's, he's been really well. Um, he's, been, he's been playing really well. 
Um, so I think, yeah, giving him a go is definitely a good, good idea, but uh, we'll see what's in stock. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, if they do get Archer back, um, it's a pretty scary lineup, especially in Australia with the, with the extra pace he does have. The other match um, of the last week was the first Pakistan against Sri Lanka test. Uh, and it was yet another fantastic match, really, with a very similar storyline to uh, many others already this year. Sri Lanka only scored 222 in the first innings with 76 to Chandamal uh, and four wickets to Shaheen Afridi being the stars there. Pakistan uh, responded with only 218. Uh, Babar Azam with 119 being the only one to perform for them. And Prabhath Jayasuriya getting yet another fiver. I think his uh, three fivers in his first three innings. It was absolutely remarkable stuff from him. Uh, and then from then onwards, uh, in the second innings, it was very impressive from Sri Lanka. Uh, 337 they scored. Chandamal, another great innings of 94. And Kusal Mendes, 64. Had a 342-run lead. Uh, but then somehow, Pakistan managed to chase it down uh, thanks to uh, Shafiq Epic of 160 runs not out of 408 balls. Uh, incredible match but heartbreak for Navod and the Lankans um, I wrote a tweet about it actually that really in February we were really lamenting the state of tests a little or at least I was because we had a succession of phenomenally dreary draws in in Pakistan and the West Indies too uh, but now just a few months later we seem to have nothing but absolute classics uh, over in England uh, and now in Sri Lanka it was a fantastic match Navod yeah, I thought it was a really, really good match to watch. I know it ended in a loss, but um, I still really enjoyed it. I think um, that second innings uh, batting performance by Sri Lanka was one of the best batting performances I've ever seen in, in recent years. I think um, Chandima was an, an excellent run of form. Uh, just, it was really, really, really nice to watch. And then I, I thought we had a really good chance. I, I was a bit frustrated actually in the in Pakistan's first innings. They were on that ninth wicket pair. We, we had them... I think they needed like a, they were hundred. They were trailing by a hundred runs, and we just couldn't break that uh, ninth wicket pair. But we finally did, um, and yeah, we got a really nice uh, lead uh, with in our third innings. But uh, ultimately, um, Shafiq's uh, really good batting uh, took Pakistan across the line, and and for a really good win. Um, uh, yeah, I just think these last few tests uh, in June, July have been really, really outstanding. I've, of course, we've seen baseball in in England, but especially for the subcontinent where you sort of expect draws to happen. I think there have been some really fantastic uh, test matches that have been gone. Really surprisingly even contests. I thought Sri Lanka being Sri Lanka, our test side is definitely our weakest uh, form at the moment of all three um, uh, cricket formats. But I think we've just played quite well. I, I think I was had concerns about selection uh, beforehand, um, especially I had a lot of doubts with Chandimal actually, uh, just considering his, his recent run in the with the white ball. I just thought, mm, I'm not sure if I want him in this test side, but he's definitely proved me wrong. He's, he's done really fantastic. Um, he's, he's played really, really well. And um, yeah, I just think, yeah, we've just had really, really good uh, June, July of, of test cricket. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about that ninth wicket pair, actually. Um, it was sort of similar with the, the Kerry dismissal in the, in the second match in Australia. There's just small things in at the time, but they turn out to be very significant um, in the course of a test match. And um, yeah, that was another one there. But how were you, were you able to watch it in the end? Because it wasn't on KO, was it? No, so I, uh, 
I fleshed out a, a Bet365 account and deposited 10 bucks in it so I could watch it free. The only issue is it's got no commentary. So it's just blank like crowd noise and you can hear the cricket ball occasionally hit the bat once in a while. And yeah, it's a bit bleak, but yeah, I put some music on and, and watch the test cricket when I'm bored. So it's, it's not great, but it's definitely better than nothing. Oh, well, there's worse things things to do but uh, did you did you put some money on Jay Syria getting a fifer because uh, you would have uh, got some good return there yeah I definitely should have bet it I didn't bet on anything but um, yeah I just kept the money in so I can I watch not no commentary cricket so yeah um, <laughs> it's it's been all right but I, yeah I definitely should have yeah he's done really really well uh, I think in his first three or first sorry first two uh, uh, debuts of, of test cricket so um, yeah, looking forward to more. Yeah, but just quickly, actually, before we go on, what what did go wrong for Sri Lanka in the in the final innings? There, Jay Suri couldn't get the five foot. I was disappointing. Um, but um, you know, was it just great batting, or could you have bowled better? Yeah, I think Shafiq really held Pakistan's innings together. I think he uh, was definitely the, the the wicket that we needed to take. I think we may have uh, dropped him or someone else. Um, I think maybe it would have been Barbara's arm. Can't remember. Someone will have to fact check me on that. But um, yeah, I definitely think that was there, was, there was definitely some missed opportunities. Um, I think the bowling was okay, but it was just mainly Shafiq's really good batting, I think, that um, took them across the line for that win. Sure. And uh, Navad, he, uh, sorry, not Navad, Ethan, he uh, only struck at, at 39 in the innings. Uh, it definitely wasn't the baseball way of chasing, but. Um, was a, a great one nonetheless. And now he averages 80, I saw, with, with two centuries and four fifties after 11 innings. Uh, small sample size, obviously, but um, is this the next great opener that, that we're seeing uh, unveiled here? Maybe, I mean, he hasn't really put much of a foot wrong yet. I don't, I don't think Shafiq has played outside Asia, which, which might be the, the slight question mark. I mean, England, Australia, New Zealand, are, can be a tough places to score runs. But from what we've seen, he looks at a quality player with a quality temperament. And anyone who can bat more than 400 balls is, is certainly one to watch in the future. Yeah, there's not really that many great openers around at the moment, you have to say, either. Who would you say is the best opener at the moment? Oh, he'd, he'd probably be, be up there. Kawaja in the subcontinent is very good. India have got Rohit and Rahul. They, they look as, as good as anyone were there. When they're going strong, El Elgar from South Africa is is, is pretty pretty quality, and and Navod will will chastise me if I don't say Dimos Karanatna and Patham Nisanka. So I, there's 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 a, a few going around. I don't think any of them are really world class. Um, you know, you can you can make a point to someone like Rohit Sharma in, in recent times, but certainly, I mean, previously we've had the big four and they haven't really been openers either, but. There's, there's no one who really like immediately comes to your mind when you think of great openers, like, like you think of, you know, great number threes or great number fours. So there is certainly a, a platform there that, that can be taken by someone like a Shafiq. Yeah. And there's just David Warner when he plays at Adelaide Oval is probably the best since, I don't know. Yeah. Will when he's playing in Pakistan against 16 year olds and hitting 300. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, the other big news from a few weeks ago now, but we haven't got around to discussing it quite yet, but it's the uh, announcement of the BBL draft for this upcoming season. 
Uh, it's a little bit complicated, so <laughs> I did a bit of research beforehand and I'll try and run through the basics of it uh, now. Uh, pretty much there's four rounds uh, and all nominating players, international players, are categorised by Cricket Australia, I think, as, as either platinum, gold, silver or bronze player players, uh, depending on their quality. Uh, and then the first round, it's only platinum players in it. Uh, and picks are decided by a draft lottery, uh, which happened just last week. And the Melbourne Renegades got the number one pick. Then the second round is the same order as the first, but with platinum and gold players in that. Uh, then the third round is the reverse order of, of their first two uh, with gold and silver. And finally, the fourth the order's reversed again, so they're calling it like a snake structure. Um, and, uh, and, and that's with silver and bronze players. So then every club, they must make at least two picks uh, and with a maximum of three. Uh, and then the, the big question for mainly for Adelaide Strikers fans, I think, um, players, one player can be retained. So the example... Uh, if Rashid Khan is uh, taken before the strikers have a chance to take him, Adelaide can, can um, say that they'll retain him. Uh, then the other team that tried to pick him gets to pick again. Um, so that's how it works. But if uh, the strikers don't take him with their pick and someone picks him up after they've had the chance to get him, they can't enact that retain clause. So a uh, bit of interest there. Uh, I, think, I think it's a very good idea um, in general. Uh, what do you guys think? Oh, there's a lot going on there, but, but I, I think it's interesting. I, I like the idea of, well, I was thinking about the idea of how it's sort of randomly, I mean, there's, there's categories for it, but it, it's a lottery. You know, if you come last, you don't necessarily always get the first, the first pick. And I think that, that prevents some of the tanking that you might have potentially otherwise get, um, you know, sometimes at the end of the season people people just seem to be okay with losses because because you say oh we'll, we'll get the good drafts but yeah you Carlton, never know now Carlton's, yeah. Carlton's <laughs> guilty of that over the years in the AFL. Yeah. yeah exactly so now with this with this sort of lottery system you know if you come sixth or eighth you have the same chance of getting the number one draft so hopefully that will prevent some of that that tanking um but i i do think the bbl needed to find ways to get in big players i think it's, it's lost its sort of reputation as, as a big league um and ever since they've sort of gone to this three international player per team format i, I don't think there's been many teams who have actually managed three international players consistently over the course of the season and so it's it's a bit of a joke um and it, it's good that that's that's being changed and it's, i believe players now have to you know, communicate with clubs how many, you know, games they'll be available for and all of that. So hopefully with a bit of forward planning and teams will arguably have to think a little bit harder about their lists, um, we can get, you know, better quality sides in, in the competition, which, which is probably much needed if the competition is to stay alive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think we're already seeing the fruits uh, potentially with uh, some big names of Babur Azam, Shaheen Afridi and Mohammad Rizwan from Pakistan all nominating for the draft as well. So they're a lot bigger names than we had uh, last year. Navad, do you like the idea? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a good idea. I think it's a little bit complicated, uh, as, as Ethan said, with all the, the different rankings. That was probably, that was probably just my explanation of it. Is, uh, left Maybe. <laughs> no, I, I Maybe. didn't understand it when I read it. 
Yeah, I think it's a little bit complicated for the average BBL fan. Let's be honest, they're about 12 years old. I don't think, if I can't understand, I'm not sure a 12-year-old can understand it, unless they're smarter than me, which is probably possible. But um, no, I, I think it's a, it's a good good idea from Cricket Australia. I think having big names like Barbara Azam, Shaheen Afridi, uh, Mohamed Rizwan, especially how you know people have seen them in that World Cup uh, last year, um, I think that's really, really good. I think also um, Faf Duplessis is also there. There might be some South African names that I'm missing as well. But I think having those players uh, is going to be really big for the big, big bash. I think it does need that um, that uh, revival, I think, from you know being one of the premier franchise crickets to sort of being shadowed a little bit by the IPL and, and other tournaments. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to how the system works. I'll, I'll let them decide who they want to pick, and I'll, I won't really pay attention to that, but I'll definitely be there for the, the cricket in the end. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's the right mindset from Cricket Australia also. I've been a bit critical over the last few years that they seem to have been prioritising it as a development league rather than the actual quality of the game. Um, but this is a, a step showing it. No, they do want it to be a top quality league. Um, the only thing I'd say, though, is probably really the only way to really get the great games back is to have the Australian players playing a lot and as of yet I don't know if that's going to happen but we'll see hopefully anyway a few more things to discuss uh, and an incredible performance in a truly bizarre game in the county um, uh, series uh, we had Sam Northeast scoring the ninth highest first class score uh, of 410 not out um, but as I say, it was a very bizarre game. It's something that can only happen to Leicestershire, I think. Um, Pearson's very unfortunate uh, side. They posted 584 runs uh, in their first innings and then somehow went on to lose. Uh, you know, you're not expecting someone to score 410 and do that to you. Um, uh, yeah, and, and the highest ever score to lose by an innings um, uh, as well. So, yeah, remarkable remarkable things there and a remarkable performance by Sam Northeast uh, who I was I've never known a huge amount about him all I knew was he had a fantastic name you know Northeast is a wonderful name but uh, I was reading and apparently a few people have, have called him the best batsman not to get a cap for England so perhaps a bit of uh, just deserves for him there but Ethan did you follow this match at all? I, I was keeping tabs on it just because he was about 300 not out overnight. And, you know, there was talks about, oh, maybe maybe 400 from the cards here. I think Pearson mentioned 500 once, but I, I didn't think anything of, of the game. You know, I, thought, I thought it was just going to be a draw, but somehow Leicester, uh, after conceding five for 795 in 160 overs, not, not managed to bat 60 overs in the third innings. And it's uh, Michael Neeser and Michael Hogan doing the damage with three for 60 and four for 43. But that's an, that's an epic choke, really. And if you look at the their last sort of five on the scorecard, have made 0, 11, 0, 1, and 0. So, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know exactly how many overs were left in that game, but there couldn't have been many. And I think they've really bottled the chance of uh, getting a draw there you know, if, if conceding 400 against the bloke wasn't enough of a, a blow to the ego. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As I say, it could only happen to the team who, well, was it only one, one match in five seasons or something, yeah. or something like that? Pearson always <laughs> rattles that one off. The English <laughs> Melbourne Renegades. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. They need to bring in a draft and that will, that will fix them up. Yeah. Anyway, the final thing to discuss, uh, and it will be a bit of an effort for us to discuss this one, because despite Pearson's coaxing, I don't think any of us actually watched it. I was intending to watch the highlights, but I didn't end up. It was the T20 Blast final. Uh, yeah, Hampshire against Lancashire, it was. Uh, ben McDermott, the Australian, scored 62 off 36 for Hampshire in the first innings. He had a tough tournament, but stepped up in the final um, to lead them to 152. So probably a bit of a subpar score, uh, you would think, for that. But it went right down to the last ball of the game uh, in Lancashire's chase. Uh, and ended in the most dramatic fashion. They only needed four off the last ball. Uh, and then Nathan Ellis, another Australian, uh, bowled a Yorker right into the stumps of Richard Gleeson. Fireworks went up, celebrations for Hampshire. Everyone thought they had won. But then the replay showed that um, Ellis had overstepped and it was a no ball. Uh, so they all had to get back in positions and bowl the ball again. Um, and well, there it would have been quite a turnaround um, if he had smashed a, a four or a three off of that ball. Uh, but in the end, um, it was a dot ball, I think, actually. And uh, Hampshire did go in to win, uh, but quite a dramatic finish for the for um, the fans on on finals day of the last season. Yeah, that's if if uh, Lanks managed to win that game, that would be an absolute nightmare for Nathan Ellis. I can think of. Few things worse than winning winning the game for your, your side and then it's a no ball and then losing the game for your side straight after. Um, but I, I'm I'm you know slightly happy that that the team who you know was in the midst of that drama in uh, in Hamps got the win. I think it would have it would have been a an uncomfortable win if Lancashire managed to you know hit that four off the last ball. Um, but you know. Considering the the strength of the sides, I'm impressed that Hampshire managed to actually go go the whole way, and Ben McDermott and Nathan Ellis have managed to you know play sort of pivotal roles in in that lineup. The two Hurricanes boys and Ben McDermott, man of the match in the final. So it's good to see the side with the Aussies um, doing well, and and Lancashire, even though they had you know the the star names and and they looked in control, you know. Early early doors in that run chase, they just you know couldn't bring it home. They had too many twenties and thirties, and sometimes that happens in T Twenty cricket. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And I think I think I saw Hampshire lost their first three or four games of the of the tournament as well. So a great comeback for them. And finally, Tim David for Lancashire didn't step up. Eight off eleven. For him. The, the finisher role not great. But uh, anyway. Navad's just messaged here and he's not happy uh, because he's missing the Formula One intro. So that's definitely a sign that it is time to go. You uh, love hearing the national anthems, do you, Navad? Oh, no, I just want to hear that awesome theme song and uh, oh, you know, showcasing all the jive. That one, yeah. yeah right. He just wants to hear sound. He's just been watching mute bet 365 stream <laughs> for five days and he's like... Yeah. yeah, I just need some of that that raw V6 engine from, from the F1 cars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, well, all the best with um, Sri Lanka's second test out here in Nevada. It looks like it's going to be another good one again. But thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us again. Thanks for it's having us. Good, yeah. good episode. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.